but more than that, it's it's going to the point of holistic restoration, actively approaching the problem and saying, how do we make your family and your kids, how do we make their situation better for generations to come? That was Mike Mitchell. We call him MJ. Not the Michael Jordan, but his own version of MJ. Uh, Man, he is leading the way in redemptive entrepreneurship with a wonderful company called Resto Athletic here in Kansas City with five locations across the world. They're doing unbelievable things. Um, And they're on this this downward trajectory, as he called it, of leadership. Uh, And he is a horizon painter. We had a wonderful conversation Hope you enjoy Mike Mitchell. You can call him MJ. Welcome back to Guild Stories, MJ Mitchell. Welcome, bro. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) The more formal intro, which I've already kind of cut and talked about, but uh, CEO of Resto Athletic, um, builder of just an amazing brand. And man, even just in a few short months have have observed and watched and witnessed and, and have been inspired by your leadership and the way you see the world and the way you operate your business. And I can't wait to explore the depths of who you are today, brother. It's an honor to be here. I just, you know, uh, to be in the same room, you know, with you and with your team and uh, to have the chance to tell our story is a gift. So Mm. thank you for having me. Dude, thanks for being here. Um, Who is Resto? Let's maybe start there. And then like I told you, we're gonna get, we're just gonna wind you back and say who is who is MJ. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, but tell it just for context, like what what is Resto and what are you guys up to? So Resto uh, is slang. It's trying to brand and make cool the word restoration. Yeah, love it. So people love say, it. "You restoration hardware?" No, 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 we're <laughs> some different. So that's why we're Resto. Love it. Uh, Shorthand for. It, restoration. Yeah. That's right. So Restoration Apparel Company is how we um, mm. started. That was the name. And um, we were founded initially with a desire to create dignified work in the largest exploitative industry in the world, which is the sewing industry. And so um, mm. we saw an opportunity, which was an opportunity to uh, both step into the chaotic industry of, of sewing and manufacturing from an exploitative standpoint, but also mm. to step into the chaotic industry of youth sports, full <laughs> custom youth sports, um, especially dye sublimated youth sports. So that's what we do. It's a newer technology, hasn't been around too long, um, but it allows you to do unlimited customization, 360 degrees around the garment in unlimited color and to digitally lay in names, numbers, things that are great for sports with that level of customization. Um, so as you can imagine, in theory, wow, cool, easy. That sounds way better than you know, pressing on or screen printing names and numbers. Uh, But then in practice, it means that you have to start with raw fabric and convert that raw fabric and the idea from a napkin of a customer into a physical jersey that's on their kid's back in less than two weeks. (laughs) Because you get the roster last minute, and so you have two weeks to produce this thing. And so that um, is a recipe for the most, I would say, one of the most disjointed Mm. industries um, that exists. um, And therein lies the opportunity. And so Restoration stepped into that space, Resto Athletic, to create Mm. full custom athletic uniforms 
start to finish um, to be basically every step of the process from the front end marketing, mm -hmm. you know, to the back end um, purchasing of raw material in cut and sew um, to meet that need um, and really to impact workers as we do it. So huge industry, multi, multi, multi billion dollar industry, hundreds of mm -hmm. billion dollar industry. Mm -hmm. So if you could ever rein it in, uh, <laughs> you could move the needle in impacting workers. And so that's really what restoration founded mm -hmm. um, itself on is the idea of caring for customers in the most disjointed industry um, that we could find and caring for workers mm -hmm. in what we saw as the largest exploitative industry in the world. So, man, it's a uh, uh, whoa. Number one is like, holy smokes, what an <laughs> opportunity. What a, what a brilliant description, too, of the opportunity and, and what you're up to. It, it prompts so many questions in my brain. Uh, but f but first, a, a funny anecdote. Right before the holidays, a good friend of mine, Gary Odell, sent me a text of a of a picture that I'm sure he saw on Twitter or something. But it's a flag hanging in a uh, manufacturing facility of some sort. And the flag says, um, we don't do this because it is easy. We do this because we thought it was going to be easy. <laughs> and as you said, uh, I thought of that as you said, like, yeah, like sounds awesome in, in uh -huh. theory. In practice, it's really difficult. Uh -huh. um, my first launch in question to the business is when you say exploitative, give us context. What does that mean? What what is what happens? What does that look like? And why is that um, something that you guys weren't okay with? Yeah, so exploitation um, is... There's a couple layers to it. Um, when you're talking about human and human exploitation, um, you're talking about turning a human who, you know, a person who's created in God's image into a machine um, and treating them as such on all levels. So not taking um, into consideration the fact that they have family, that they have roots, that they have generations of impact that they're looking to make. And also not taking into consideration the fact that they, <laughs> they are made to use their hands to create beautiful things of impact in the world. That's where dignity comes. And so exploitation, specifically in the sewing industry, started um, during the Industrial Revolution times. Um, so sewing used to be an art form exclusively. You go to grandma's house, she'd make you some clothes, she'd give them to you, she'd feel proud of what she made, and you would feel thankful, and there would be this dignified loop, this closing of the loop in artistry. Any artist who makes something wants to feel you know, experience the fruit of their, their labors. And, and so in the industrial revolution, um, what happened was, uh, people started deciding, um, to use an art form and mass ramp it up to the point where they're creating way too much of something and disconnecting that something at the end of the end of the line to the person who made it. So, um, exploitation in our industry really looks like people not being paid what they deserve, people not being treated like humans, which means two things. Um, first, uh, not able to come to work and feel, you know, valued or dignified in that. And secondly, um, them not being able to see the fruit of their labors, the fruit of the artistry that they're doing. They're making one of 40,000 blank t-shirts that will go on the shelf in some other country. Um, and so uh, really they're not able to experience and close the loop on that artistic process 
And, um, and so exploitation in our industry looks primarily like that, if I were to explain it. Yeah, that's helpful, man. We, we work with a client who is in the food production business, and they're, they're beautiful in, in their intentions and actions around human dignity. Hard jobs, really. Lots of them are. And they set out on this course several years ago to understand their employees directly, their production level and hourly employees. And they did that by like formal consulting agreements and started to do employee surveys and things like that. And in all this like massive investment of time and resources and money and, and effort to, to understand the opportunities to, for human connection, the number one result was as it like all kind of got boiled down was I want my supervisor to know my name. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, my goodness, how basic and how lovely and how dignified Mm -hmm. to look across the table and to know the name of the person on the line next to you or at the office above you or whatever it is. And and that, that like human foundational anti-exploitation of knowing my name. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and valuing me as a human is really Yeah, profound. a quick note on that, I guess, just a story. Um, so we're in five countries now, um, and we have a manufacturing facility in Egypt, in Alexandria, Egypt. And um, I went there nine times during COVID in, in 2020, um, leading into 2021. Um, and every time I'd go, I'd show up and be, you know, I, we have our workers, there are 125 employees there in Egypt. And um, I'd walk in, the first time I I I came in, obviously I look different. <laughs> I, yeah, I yeah. have a title. Um, and, uh, and, and they were a bit standoffish and, and as things developed, I started to notice that they'd eat lunch together at the same time. So I started, I would go out and, and they'd give me fish and, and we'd eat and two trips in, mm. one of the employees came into our manager and said, we love him. Like, mm. <laughs> what? Why? Like, mm. we love you because you're a humble boss. Mm. I said, what do you mean humble boss? Like you eat fish with us. Mm. Okay. That's, that's a pretty low bar. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah. You know, um, just the fact that you see someone say hi to them, try to learn a little bit about their language, eat some of the food they're eating. That's, that's the bar that we're talking about from a human dignity standpoint. Exploitation says, Hey, you got a messy life. I'm keeping you an arm's different distance. You sew over your finger, you're out. We'll bring the next person in line in. We don't want to get involved in, in you as a human. And so, um, man, it's a low bar. It really is the low bar that we're working with. And, and restoration is not just meeting that bar. (laughs) It's, it's saying, yes, the fabric of who we are is, is that we, we care for people. We treat humans Mm. like humans, Mm. but more than that, it's, it's going to the point of holistic restoration, actively approaching the problem and saying, how do we make your family and your kids, how do we make their situation better for generations to come? We're not just going to say, yes, we're, we're looking at you, we're eating fish with you, but you're not making a good wage. We're going to try to do wraparound care, um, holistic care, for your family to start breaking generational curses that you're experiencing. And that's kind of at the point of, of where we are as a company uh, moving beyond just saying the fabric of who we are is impacting people, caring for them. I think that's just low hanging fruit. Yeah. Everyone's got to do that. Duh. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. That's what we do. We treat yeah. you like a human. <laughs> that's not answering your question. What is restoration? That's just saying we exist mm. as, as people who treat people like people mm. restoration then is, is 
uh, what we are starting to, as a profitable company, get to experience and creatively develop. Um, and so there, mm. there are more answers to your questions, but exploitation great. Is, is not just what we're looking to combat. We're actually trying to flip the script toward active restoration, active redemption mm. um, that's going to you know, combat future exploitation. Mm. So well said, dude. And we're going to dig deep into how that plays out, why you have oriented the business around that, um, and, and some practical ways that you've seen it work or not work or been challenging. Before we get there, who is MJ? Like, where'd you, like, what's your story? Where'd you grow up? What's, uh, how, how did some of this stuff uh, get formed in the guts and the soul of how you lead the business today? Yeah. Well, MJ. How about that for 17 yeah, questions in yeah, one? Yeah, MJ is 27-year-old. <laughs> still feel like a kid. Uh, I went to, so I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, um, <clears throat> south of Kansas City. And um, <laughs> two sisters, um, awesome family, uh, loving parents. I'm actually not MJ. Um, I'm Michael Mitchell. My dad is also Michael Mitchell, so that is why I'm MJ. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. we do the business together. Yeah. And so um, to avoid confusion, uh, I still get confused. Like, MJ, hey, who is MJ? It's like, I don't know. Michael Jordan, not where's me. Jordan? <laughs> yeah, where's Jordan, bro? Um, but screw up and, and have had an entrepreneurial spirit since the very beginning. Started a ton of, a ton of companies and um, have always viewed lack of direction, <laughs> uh, chaos as a blank canvas. That's been my default. I'm just drawn to things that don't make sense or things that don't exist to try to build them into things that do. And um, so did a number of different small businesses, um, some standard stuff, um, would buy and sell um, washing machines, um, awesome. started a grass seed business. Um, grass and, seed. Yeah, grass Amazing. seed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so buy grass seed wholesale, plant it. Um, and uh, would buy and sell office cubicles. And so those Whoa. things are big, clunky, huh. you know, operations. Um, when people would move out, uh, they're worth a lot of money, but, mm. you know, the labor required to go with a little wrench and disassemble them uh, was not worth their time. So I'd say, hey, free disassembly, free removal. If you let me keep <laughs> the thing and just load it up our garage, which my parents loved um, to, to reassemble and hired some of my friends. And um, so that was just just who I was, loved mm. starting small businesses. I could probably, I could go on, you know, over 10 um, that I had started. Um, did some real estate stuff too early on with the, the help of my dad. Um, and that led into, uh, into college. Um, and I went to Wheaton College in Chicago. Mm. Um, started in 2014. Um, actually in ministry. <laughs> so I... Mm. I am a Christian um, and have a strong love for human dignity, human impact, um, and ultimate hope that they can experience in the gospel um, and the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and so uh, entered college with a um, major in Bible and theological studies um, and then added in business because I knew I, I love business and in some ways held them in, in separate hands sure. with with the hope that I could figure out how they could play off of uh, each other. How does human dignity, how does uh, my love for impacting the world and impacting humans fit into this entrepreneurial mm -hmm. spirit that I have um, for creative development and 
and then added um, rhetorical studies as well. Um, on top of that, just, you know, speaking, which you're like, well, you studied speaking? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, they taught me stuff. I love it. It's hard to tell sometimes. Whatever. Um, and that really along that journey at school and alongside the path that my dad was on, which was, um, which was a transition um, in his life toward taking his love for entrepreneurship and his love for business and, and, um, seeing how he could use that skill set for impacting the world. It took us to a number of different countries, to Uganda, East Africa, Rwanda, um, a lot of times to Haiti, uh, to visit small businesses and people who are developing businesses there. And, and I started to realize, wow, there is some secret sauce. There's some power in these little engines you can create called business mm-hmm. for impacting the world, um, and for human dignity. And so, uh, coming out of graduation, my last my actually my last year of school at Wheaton, um, this opportunity presented itself. Just recognize this need for a legitimate, reliable, del, um, you know, delivering <laughs> company in the athletic uniform industry and dye sublimation, and also the large you know exploitation gap that we had talked about with humans. Um, and so my senior year, my dad and I came together and we started this company, Restoration Apparel Company. Um, and it was that marrying of my two passions, two separate hands. And mm-hmm. we're still in that journey of like, you know, toddlers walking saying, how can you do this <laughs> and this at the same time? It's tough, yeah. you know, to, yeah. to learn that process. But we've been on a five-year journey now. Um, we have almost 300 employees across five countries uh, and God has just been blessing it. It's mm. been such a gift. There's been wind behind the sails, and not because we're smart or because we're amazing at what we do, just because um, we are prioritizing people. We're, put, we're putting human humans first, which is one of Guild's <laughs> mottos, you know. And we found deep uh, kinship and connection as we sat um, in in your conference room and, and that sweet little setup you guys have, and just felt this connection, spirit connection around. Oh my gosh! Like we see wildly different context right like we're a team of 11 um not a team of of several hundred across five different countries and going oh man oh man yeah like they see human first like we do it's beautiful um i'm curious there's so much to unpack in 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 the way you just walked through that journey but i want to highlight the the marrying of the two hands um, it's such an interesting illustration. I haven't thought of it the way that you just described it. And it was really beautiful. The, the way, and, and I've got, um, this gentleman, professor Geenans in my mind who I interviewed, he's a professor at Benedictine college and, uh, he, he, and he's way smarter than me, but he referenced this old, 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 hundreds of years old Catholic writing that, I'll butcher it exactly, but the, the 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 paraphrase is the path to human flourishing is through productive enterprise. And I had that phrase in my mind when you talked about the two hands. It's like, man, it it doesn't have to be either or. And in fact, maybe if they're maybe if they're seg- segmented and separated and separate, neither are strong. Um, and, and this this like. And, and it's going to walk me into my question around Praxis and how you guys got connected to that group. 
how you think about things similarly or different. Um, but the, the marrying of the two hands, the integrated philosophy, the, the belief that um, purpose and profit can be okay. The, the, and my goodness, I'm like unpacking my own baggage here on you for help. <laughs> but, but to think of this as not, a, not an enterprise that has this mission only to make money or not as this nonprofit that exists only for the good of human dignity, but that both can exist and, and, and arguably both should exist. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious to hear more of maybe how you and your dad and the others in the business have oriented your decisions, have framed your uh, leadership model out of, have um, invested in humans and capital and people, and uh, humans and people are the same, to be clear humans and technology and physical places to advance that beautiful, but very kind of um, visual description of left hand, right hand. Yeah. That's another <laughs> tough question. <laughs> it's a, like I said, uh, keep in mind, to, toddlers walking. Welcome around. to my, well, and, and, and to be maybe more specific, like toddlers walking, you're on the sixth, you know, into the sixth year. And the thing is a big thing now. It's not like, uh, oh, we're five years in and we're just kind of trying to figure it out. You're, you've got like a, a very weighty and beautiful responsibility that you guys have created. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I guess I'll, I'll pull from a few things that I've mentioned so far um, to try to paint a picture of my journey and then add a few questions for you all, the listeners, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you can be pondering uh, and then speak to a little bit of how we've, we've had this play cool. out. Um, so... <clears throat> I had mentioned um, love for business, love for ministry. Also have mentioned um, the idea of human dignity, allowing people to be artists and to bring value to the world. Um, And so just to dive in on those topics real quick, business and ministry, which I recognized pretty early on, are fundamentally different. Mm -hmm. To say that business and ministry are one can get complicated. Mm -hmm. Ministry at its core Mm -hmm. is unconditional. Mm -hmm. You run away from me. You don't do what I ask. We're going to chase you down, and we're going to love you. We're going to squeeze you till your rib breaks. That's really (laughs) what ministry is about. Unconditional. We're here for you. You're stuck with us. We want to serve you. Mm -hmm. We want to care for you. Business is conditional. Yeah. Well said. And people will say, well, it's like, yes, if you want to infuse your business with human dignity, it needs to be conditional. The people who are sitting at the sewing machines want to know that they deserve to be at that sewing machine. That's right. If you don't do your job, yeah. we're going to have grace. Yeah. We're going to talk about, wait, what's going on? Something going on at home? You know what? If you don't do your job a second time, I don't think this is the right fit. So there's a there's a fundamental difference. It's complicated. Ministry and business, they are that's right are different. And so you have to take into consideration the human dignity piece on business. It's part of the development. Um, and so one can't be the one stop shop for all needs of a human. Mm. Business can't be the church. Mm. The church needs wraparound support and community in the form of nonprofits. They can't be buying houses, buying cars, buying all this to meet the help with, they can help with food, but they can't be the food solution. You got to have the government as well to be stepping in and supporting. It's an ecosystem. And so 
I've grown a lot, at least in my processing of our role in ecosystem, as opposed to our role in being a one-stop shop for, for impacting people holistically as a business. And it's also allowed me to have freedom as a leader to do my job well. I do have relationships with our employees outside of work. But our relationship is primarily built on the dynamic of me being the CEO, them being sower. And just so you know, the way that I approach that is, I don't know how to sow. <laughs> if you're not here, we're going down. I do know how to do a few things well. I can lead teams. I can lead. But it's, it's, we try to maintain a very flat um, view. It's more of a skills-based leadership style as opposed yeah. to a hierarchical style. Yes. Um, but that said, there is this dynamic of, hey, if you do not show up to work, if you don't do your job, for the sake of human dignity and for the sake of the rest of the team and what we're trying to build, you can't stay here. That doesn't impact your discipleship at church. It does not impact. That's not my role. I'm not your discipler. I can't do that for you. So um, that as part of the landscape, some of the complexity that I face, I was really trying to take two separate hands and turn them into one. Over the last five years, I've recognized, okay, they need to stay separate, and we need more hands than just yeah, two. That's right. That's right. <laughs> How does the church fit into this? How does, you know, the community fit into this? And that's what's really exciting for me now. You know, as a business, the low-hanging fruit in the bar that's set is we, we are going to treat you like humans. We are going to invest in your dignity. We're going to make you feel like artists, whether you want to or not. What you make is beautiful. It's impacting the world. We're going to show you the pictures of the kids who are wearing your jerseys that you made. We're going to celebrate the five-star reviews. And vice versa, if someone says, thank you, you did great work for us, we're going to let you know who made your shirt. Cecilia made your shirt. She's my friend. She's right here. I just told her. Thank you. That closing the loop, that's, that's a big piece of human dignity. But now taking this, this, the next step, towards saying, how do, how do we as a business engage with the concept of ecosystem, engage with our city, our city of Kansas City, Alexandria, Egypt, Santiago, Dominican Republic, Manila, Philippines? How can we be engaging with these active communities to be thinking about holistic impact and holistic discipleship and care of families um, that's going to extend way beyond our capacity. So I don't know if that's answering your question exactly, awesome. but we are at that point now of really starting to engage with communities around communities, engaging with my church, engaging with other churches um, to impact families and to impact um, and to, to pour our resources, our profit as a business into things that are holistic and wraparound. Um, and so we as a business have created families, amazing families in these different places. You'll walk into our manufacturing facility and you'll, you'll know immediately it's different. Oh yeah. We, I felt it. Yeah. yeah. That's one, that's one piece of it. But now we want to extend that family out and say, how can we be looking at the needs that you have that are beyond our need, our ability to meet as a business and invest in those for, for redemption and, and impact. So that's where we're leveraging our resources right now. And the question that I have for you guys is, how can you think of your life in terms of ecosystem and your impact on the world in terms of ecosystem? We're so territorial. Oh we gosh, want yes. to do it all ourselves. That's not how the 
That's not how it works. It's never been intended to work that way. We got to come together as a community. And so how, how can a redemptive business come together with a redemptive nonprofit come together with, with the church and come together with Mm -hmm. other communities, the the government to think about people as people and give holistic care. Um, Because my temptation is to say, yep, I figured out over the last five years that business, (laughs) boom, everything you got to, the, the key to human dignity is, is progressing forward in business period. It's not. It's more complicated. A lot of it stretches beyond what I have the impact to do. But these conversations right here gets yeah. me excited. It's like, man, yeah. yeah, who else can be in this conversation and can think about how to put humans first? I'll give them a job. Yeah. I will make them feel dignified. I will impact their families for generations through the income that they're making and through their vision of creative development and all of these. I can do that. I can't be their pastor. I yeah, can't be right. so. So uh, hopefully that answers your question. More more questions for you as the audience, as the yeah. listener, than yeah. than I have um, as answers. But that's really where we're at now. After five years, is saying we're moving from the low level treating people like human. Now we're we're trying to really invest in family in this incredible environment for human dignity at our work. Third step for me really is to leverage resources toward and leverage conversation and leverage voice yes, toward wraparound ecosystem. What happens when, when ecosystem is strong, when that, you know, I, I think too simply lots of times for sure, but you think of like a, a flywheel or an f- effect of something, a, a movement towards a, a, a virtue cycle builds upon itself and, and, gathers more virtuous things along its path and the opposites the other way the vicious cycle or the fearful cycle or the scarce cycle um it, it untangles and, and creates a lot of mess right so what and, and there's no perfection here this is far from eden <laughs> but but when when virtue cycle happens when redemptive entrepreneurship plays a role in an ecosystem then what 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 is the result or what are, what are you guys testing as the possibility of results? It's a great question. I'm not sure that people believe business people believe that you can actually do business and bring redemption and survive. Mm -hmm. So I'll press in on what you said with scarcity mindset, scarce cycles. I think we have a scarcity mindset toward that. Mm. And so you'll see a lot of businesses that are trying to make an impact. They're awesome businesses that pigeonhole themselves into the, should I say, the mm. artisan network, the, um, the, the network of buyers that is willing to pay a little bit more for... Yeah. It's a higher level of coffee. The point zero 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 one percent of buyer out there who says, yeah, no, I'll pay double for a scarf just because I know it was made in Uganda. Mm-hmm. What we found early on in our company is that leading with the idea of human impact, hey, we hire refugees. Hey, we're doing the right thing. Hey, it immediately brought skepticism mm-hmm. in two ways primarily. One, people were skeptical of the quality of our product. They're like, I love that you hire refugees, but I need them to stay together. These, my jerseys yeah. have to exist. You're like, yeah. what? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And they're fantastic sewers. I forgot to mention that. Secondly, they were skeptical of price. Mm. I love that you're helping people, but I, I have a budget. Mm. I can't spend a little bit more. 
So lots of head ascent to yeah, 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 cute, cool, good for you. Where's the cheap, reliable option? <laughs> That's right, exactly. And, <laughs> right. and so right. we, although have a lot of redemptive businesses that are operational, the number of businesses that are truly impacting the general buyer, the 99.999% of the world, very few, to be honest. And so we found that the opportunity to lead with quality, lead with price in our industry opens up the door to true generational impact. And, and, and what he had mentioned is this flywheel that feeds on itself. We have customers who have been with us for four years now who have no idea that we're doing positive things in the world. Which that's why we actually we have yeah. Guild here. It's yeah. like, okay, Guild, uh, we think we're amazing at what we do in terms of making athletic yeah. uniforms. We think we can get it to them on time, but can you now kind of step help in us. and help <laughs> us navigate this awkward thing? Because we don't want people to immediately think that their prices are going to go through the roof when we start telling our story. We want to we want to do it in a way that expedites this virtue cycle that he had mentioned. We want it to feed on itself now for the general buyer, for the person who has never thought that they could buy an athletic uniform and, and invest in something that is furthering human dignity in the world, that is impacting mm -hmm. families for generations. Mm -hmm. So we are very excited to be, a little chip on our shoulder, the best full custom athletic uni uniform manufacturer in the world. And in that, to bring, to be sticky, to bring the world, the world of general buyers, the 99.99% of people into the fold and to start sharing these messages like, okay, redemptive business can happen. You can actually impact the world and love the person you're buying from. It's like this, they're not mutually exclusive. So um, I would say that exploitation feeds on itself, but virtue feeds on itself as well. Mm. And the buyers who start to see something different about your company and start to recognize that you are leading with excellence, but also are fighting for the worker, maybe taking less profit because, because you can invest in families. That really is where you start shifting the mindset. Oh, phone ring it. You're good. You're good. Start shifting the mindset of the buyer and starting some form of exponential growth in terms of paving the way for other redemptive businesses to step into those spaces. Yeah. Whew. What a good, what, what a meaty substantive answer. And uh, as my brain often does, which is really weird as you're, as you're sharing about the, the general buyer, I'm like, Melissa Testrick, she's a mom on our kids basketball team she like steps into all sorts of awesome gaps that nobody really wants to do. She like schedule the stuff on Team Snap. She'll pay the tournament fees. She uh, collects the money when we have to chip in for whatever thing, um, and she buys the uniforms, right? And she like deals with all the stuff that I'm like, hey, here's the roster and here's the sizes and like, good luck, right? Go get them. And and me as the like picky brand guy, I'm like, but they have to look awesome. And they have to be precise and they have to be right. Um, and so she's got a full-time job. She's a mom. She's got a lot, lot of responsibilities, a lot of other things. And she, she gets thrown to the internet to, like, go make awesome uniforms. Right. That's not her job. That's not, she's not a buyer at 
whatever shields or whatever, right? She's 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 doing this out of the kindness of her heart and maybe the resentment towards me. I don't know. Um, and I, again, I'm just putting my mind to the extent that I can. She wants and demands an awesome experience because she can just keep searching the internet for someone who provides something easy for her. Mm-hmm. Um, of course she wants and expects quality and like, and like, Hey, we have a tournament in two weeks. Can you get them here by then? And I, I just resonate so deeply with your, um, you guys have planted this flag or you've like stood your ground on. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome that we're doing all this awesome human dignity work. We have to be awesome at delivering good stuff first. And, uh, Man, I don't, I don't even, there's no question in there. There's just like this this wonderful connection of, yeah, people like Melissa all over the world have had bad experiences with custom uniform manual. And I'm sure plenty of good ones too, right? But but the general experience for people like Melissa is not good. <laughs> it's laced with like not helpful stuff, right? Is that is that has, has that been true in your experience? So true. So true. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very hard to find if, I mean, you have flukes where things just go perfectly, but um, our our most common conversation with customers is they get on the phone. We explain to them this whole story. They're like, that sounds great. I've heard it before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. what about my Friday night lights high school yeah. football game in yeah. two and a half weeks? How are you going to me? I'm, me as a mom, mm-hmm. I'm buying 130 kids football jerseys for Friday night lights. How can you ensure that I'm going to get them there? Can you guarantee it? Will you give me my money back? It's like, just, you got to trust us. Yeah. I know yeah. you've been through yeah. the ringer on this thing. You've worked with Pakistan, China. It hasn't worked out, but there is so much fear around this process. And so to get to first step in and blow them away and to go above and beyond, if something does go wrong to say, I'm driving to Chicago, I'm driving to, I'm going to get this stuff to you. We will meet your delivery date and meet your quality expectations. Um, and then from there, once that trust has been built uh, to, to be able to come in and start speaking other, other things of trust, like, and hey, you can also trust how your stuff is made is impacting people. And we'd love to tell you more about, about that. And you can trust, you know, that um, we, we are going to back our product, you know, if you have issues. And it's just as you start getting to to plant other seeds of trust and next thing you know you have a stickiness to your company you start seeing this growth that takes place but i do think in particular our industry you have to start with that Mm. that quality and that reliability and that price sensitivity you have to address those things head on and then it opens the door because it's so rare to have trust in those three areas to, to plant seeds mm. of trust in others. That, yeah, my goodness, yes. There's a, a friend of ours who um, he he has this whole consulting and, and teaching model around, the, he calls it the trust framework, specific to business. And he did his dissertation on it. It's empirical evidence. You earn trust first, then you prove value, then the result is loyalty. And so many businesses start with like, what's our value proposition? And he's like, no, 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 time out. Create trust first. Build trust first. And and once the trust is there, which opens you up for the opportunity to break it, sure. Um, but 
once the trust has been established, the, you know, I'll just keep talking about Melissa. If, if, and when Melissa trusts your business and your brand and your experience and your promise, um, the value is whatever. She'd pay a few more bucks. She'd pay a few less bucks. The, the, the price is then really irrelevant within a certain amount of range, right? But then, my goodness, is her loyalty going to be sky high? Mm-hmm. And then, man, then tell me about the redemption. Then tell me about the work you're doing because I already trust that you're awesome mm-hmm. and that you care. And really, the awesomeness aside, Melissa trusts that you care for her mm-hmm. and that you've solved her pain and you've created a solution for her problem. And and um, it it segues my meandering brain into praxis. Mm-hmm. What is praxis? Why does that model matter to you all? And 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 what was your? And I know you're. You wouldn't say it this way. You guys are like poster children for praxis to a degree. Like in terms of like, oh, this can this can have viability in the market. This mindset um, can work. Like again, there's twelve questions in one. Good luck. <laughs> backtrack real quick just a word of encouragement to anyone out there who's who's looking at starting a small business and mm. you had mentioned yes of course there's an opportunity for you to break that trust unless you're going into the airline industry <laughs> you can make mistakes 100 percent. we unabashedly say 100 that we fly a plane before we build it. We're building it in air, which you can't do in the airline industry. If you're going yeah, <laughs> if you're right. going to start a new Southwest Airlines first, yeah, make sure you yeah. know what you're doing. But if you're yeah. doing athletic uniforms, you can build the plane while it's flying and there actually is empirical evidence. That's I right. wish I knew the name. Some I can't remember dude. what it's called, but some smart dude came up with the name of of what happens to your customer's perception of you when you respond to problems. Own the mistake. They yes. actually have Greater loyal to you, this is it's wild. It's yes. wild, and we have yes. adopted this as our principle. Yes. Hey, you'll get a you'll get. Let's say it's you know if it were between zero and loyal on a scale, you can get five loyal points from a customer if you deliver their stuff on time, exactly as they want it. You can get eight loyal points from that same customer if you deliver all but two jerseys, a couple misspelled names, and you respond quickly and get them the three additional or four additional jerseys exactly as they're yes. intending it before their first game. So yes. that responsiveness right. for us, it, there's a lot of freedom and Amen. a lot of opportunity to be able to build deep, loyal connections with customers, even if you're not sure exactly what you're doing from the beginning. And so that's it's just a, a, word, just a word of encouragement. Amen. We built our, yes. our company on that theory. It's like, Hey, mm. we're going to give it our full effort and know mm. we care about your son. We care about your daughter who's going to be wearing this jersey, and it breaks our heart if he doesn't have a jersey for the first game and has to sit out. It breaks our heart. Yeah. For them, that's all they need to hear. hundred percent. They don't even need to hear that they're going to have it, you know, in the first shipment. Yes. They just need to hear, hey, yes. do you care? And if you do, I'm going with you, and I'm never leaving you. So, 100%. Uh, so well said. In yeah. A, in a company that just says, oh, my gosh, we blew it. I'm really sorry. <laughs> it's like... Oh, you're human too. You made a mistake. Of course, of course, you guys did. You're a massive organization. Blah blah blah. Like you bet, man. And and I, I'm struck by you. You talked about this human dignity loop from the production employer employee. I'm sorry, sewing perspective. The same is true on the employ, on the customer side. Getting my thoughts out of my brain. The 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 fact that you're giving 
your client, your customer, the team mom, the coach who's stressed out, that you're giving them the dignity of, hey, we really care about your son. We care about the jerseys. We're sorry. Or whatever. Like, we'll drive them to Chicago. Like, that that dignity loop exists there, too. It's really pretty. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, to your actual question. Sorry. Which was what? <laughs> <laughs> praxis. I'm about Praxis. Um, for those of you who do not know, Praxis, uh, as a word, means intersection of faith and work. Mm. So there is an incredible organization out there named Praxis mm. that has stepped into the space of the intersection of faith and work and has created a curriculum, has created so many resources, has brought together this army of people who, you know, march to the same drum mm. beat. And uh, and so our business actually was, was founded out of Praxis, mm. uh, which is pretty cool. So my junior year... Um, I went to California and to New York and, and pitched the idea of a dye sublimation company that's impacting the world, da-da-da-da-da, all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and they came around me and help, helped uh, mm. beef up that mission mm. and actually give substance to some of the claims that I was making in terms of what the business could do and the way it could scale and the way we could build our teams. And so uh, from the beginning, Praxis um, set us on a trajectory toward where we're at now. Mm. Mm. Um, I think if we didn't start on the path five years ago that we're on, I'd be scared. Where'd we end up? I think we'd have a successful business, but I'd be scared where we'd, we'd end up from a foundation of human impact and the, the way that we're able to impact the world. Um, and so even prior to having any employees, we're making athletic uniforms, owning sewing machines, all that, owning sew, sewing machines. Uh, we put ourselves on a trajectory and then in some ways put our heads down and said, okay, now we're, we're grinding in the direction that uh, we have spoken. So... Uh, Praxis, though, um, it's beautiful. really has created or what they call the redemptive frame. And the redemptive frame um, distinguishes exploitation, mm-hmm. um, moral business, and redemptive business. Uh, often, you know, we, we feel like the antithesis to exploitative business is moral business. Uh, and that's kind of what I was alluding the to. Low hanging it's fruit like the low-hanging like, yeah. fruit. It's like, yeah. hey, you either... Treat people like machines, or you treat them like humans. It's like, no, that's not the that's not the yeah. la, that's not the yeah. end goal. Yes, yeah. you definitely want to take the step from exploitation to morality, where we're going to treat people like humans. Mm. But then from there, there's a whole nother massive step that needs to take place, and that's the step of redemption, mm. of redeeming, of of, re- of of repairing what has been broken and reclaiming it for the person who who had it stolen or had it broken. And so, um, all that said, it's good. Re- the, the name restoration, to circle back on that, came from Praxis's definition of um, redemptive business. Redemptive business, in their mind, is creative restoration through sacrifice. Hmm. Creative restoration through sacrifice. When I heard that, I thought, man, what a great name, Restoration. Mm. We're going to be that. But we're also not going to leave out the other pieces, the creative. Mm. We're going to step into this industry and we're going to do stuff. 
that no one's ever seen before. We're going to create technology. We're going to own the full process. We're going to have an art department. We have over 75 full-time artists. It's amazing. We're going to have an art department that no one's ever seen before. Like, like no one's ever seen before to create these sick jerseys, amazing jerseys. We're going to be creative in the space, but we're also going to sacrifice. What does it mean to be the CEO? It's like, man, I often it means I'm, I'm sweeping the floor. Often it means I'm whatever it takes, whatever it takes. We're all going to have a, whatever it takes mindset. And that, like I said, if you don't have that mindset in our business, you're not going to make it. We are fighting for these teams and in the front office, we're fighting for our workers. We are going to sacrifice and then sacrifice. And then if we get big enough and if we get amazing enough, we'll sacrifice some more. That's, that's the journey we're on. We're on a downward trajectory as leaders, mm-hmm. a, a, a downward trajectory toward greater and greater and greater sacrifice. And it flips the script of business on its head on so many different fronts. It, it has a implication, a huge implication on, on how you view profit as a business. Profit, income is a seed toward the end goal. How are we going to plant now this profit into our end goal? Um, it has a huge implication, like I said, on, I'm already mentioned on leadership. Um, it means that I'm not looking <laughs> for an exit plan. People say, what's your exit plan? Sweet, wow, look, you're already Death. at whatever, $20 million <laughs> or, you know, what? you hit a number. Are you leaving now? It's like, no, I'm actually, I'm getting We're just deeper, getting man. Going, We're bro. getting going. Yeah. Now we can yeah. really get our hands dirty in the lives yeah. of families. Yeah. And the lives of, that's, it gets exciting now mm. because we get to sacrifice not just to survive and to put money in our bank. We get to now sacrifice for the mm. families that are sitting at the sewing machines. How cool is that? We're just entering new realms of sacrifice. It uh, makes me smile and I'm grateful, man. Um, we, you know, like you, we've been on, on our own journey and it, it certainly hasn't looked like <clears throat> 20 million <laughs> in five countries yet. Um, but there's, for us, we use this, this phrase internally, a lot of value alignment and there's a lot of businesses in the world. Thank goodness. Lots of them we don't really want to work with. <laughs> not, not because we're like, whatever. It's just like, eh. And when you got, when we, you started answering some of our questions around those types of, those types of probings of where, where are you headed? Where are you going? Where are you going? What are you trying to build? And the y'all, several of you said different versions of, and I can't remember the exact numbers. The, the ones in my mind are, Hey, instead of 250 families that we get to bless and impact, we want that number to be 2,500. We want that number to be 5,000. And it's like, whoa. And dude, like, you're challenging me even in your language around the downward trajectory because it's such an easy trap to fall into to be like, oh, this is about my comfort or my thing or like what my exit plan, whatever. And that that is the way, is through the sacrifice, through the giving away, through the surrender of um, – so do good on you, bro. That's really good. And I know that's a, I know that's a struggle. I know that's not an easy instinct, but the the commitment to it is really profound. Thank you so much. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, I could ask you a thousand questions, so I won't. Um, but I, I want I want you to, as, to the extent that you can, give us some really specific stories, 
give us a redemptive entrepreneurship with two dudes talking about it is what you're living it. You're doing it. We're doing it to a different degree. Um, you went to Egypt nine times during COVID. You've gone to the Dominican Republic. You have people. This isn't like a, this isn't some like loose concept. Um, you employ 75 artists. Like each of them have stories. Each of them have families. Each of them have stress, responsibilities, bills to pay, kids to feed. Um, who comes to your mind when you're like, you bet you're going to go impact a lot more of them. But like, oh my gosh, it would be worth If Resto closed its doors tomorrow, uh, these people, we did it. We did this redemptive thing. We didn't just talk about it. Like this person's life was exploited and now it was redeemed. Um, who comes to mind? There's an, an, a few different stories that are coming to mind. Sorry for the delay. Oh, of course. The delay is powerful, man. I guess I'll, I'll start in Kansas City because um, it's closest to home for for us. Uh, but in, in Kansas City, northeast Kansas City, um, we're in the heart of where refugees are placed um, by the U.S. government uh, in, in their neighborhood, um, which hmm. wasn't actually intended from the beginning but, but turned into such a gift. And... A lot of our employees are, are refugee employees. They uh, have been in the U.S. for, you know, a few years, um, four or five years. Um, some of them have reached, you know, five, six, which means uh, we could have a citizenship party. And mm. uh, a quick note on that, too, because um, I think it's really important for, for businesses who are in the space of impact. Be very, very careful on the core values that you build your your company on don't build them on messaging or on values that require people to stay in the situation that they're in and so we don't have a core value that we only hire refugees or that we have refugee employees we try not mm. to and it's it's hard but when we bring people to the office to say look look at all the refugee people that we <laughs> Because they're not. Uh, most yeah. of them are not refugees yeah. anymore. They were. Yeah. I once was a refugee. You know, we, yeah. that's a yeah. nonprofit that we work with. We the love label that. we don't own any longer. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. It's like, yeah. man, it's we don't good. need refugees for our story to to resonate. Um, it's powerful. Refugee employees. A lot of them have kids in college. A lot of them have, you know, houses that they've bought. I've gone to weddings of their kids, and it's just this celebration, and it's a mixing of cultures. But it's no more than that. We yeah. don't need them to be in dire situations because, yeah. So it's the whole point, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah. just as, as a note, but we, we do have um, employees who were former refugees who have come to the United States. Um, and uh, one of them, our manager, her name is Cecilia. Cecilia with the T. <laughs> she has the most amazing story. Her resilience, her 15, 20 years in a refugee camp, and her coming here with her family. Uh, and so many of our employees in Kansas City have stories that we just get to unpack daily, just little pieces of them that are such a, such a gift. And, uh, and so we found that refugees 
in the United States get taken advantage of so much. Exploitation is so high, and even in even in cases, yeah, and in, in the U.S. and not just through their employment, but just through the systems mm. and through the way that businesses interact with them. Um, we've made it a, a practice of asking our employees why they didn't come to work. You know, if they didn't show up. Mm. We ask them, hey, what's, what's going on? So mm. she uh, didn't come to work one day, and we said, what, why didn't you come to work? She said, I, I uh, had to deal with this plumbing issue at my house. And I said, oh, okay, um, what did they say? It's like they gave me a quote. It's like, okay. And then I said, can I see that quote? <laughs> So looked at it, $39,000. You've got to be kidding me. $39,000 for an excavation. I said, can I have uh. the number of this plumber? I called the plumber. I said, how dare you do this to my employee? How dare you charge her $39,000 and force her to pay a $500 down payment that she'll continue to pay for the rest of her life? You uh. come out to do the work after the $500 down payment and you she's legally obligated to pay you for the rest of her life how dare you i'm going to my plumber ended up being like twenty seven hundred dollars oh my gosh another example to celia her son she, she came to us and said hey can i have some extra work they have sewing machines at their house and that was from covid and mm. um, we allowed them to take work home when it was dangerous to come to the office and and she said can i take some work home i want to work overnight i said why um i need more money why mm. uh my son i just got the bill for his college hmm can I look at that bill? <laughs> like, sure. She was paying full price, 20 grand mm. a semester for her son to go to school. I said, uh, can, before we just give you more work, because you got eight kids. This is your first of eight kids to go to college. Mm. It's not going to get easier. The solution is not for you to take t-shirts home and work all night to try to pay this bill. We got to look at the root, root cause here. And so, um, so I connected great. with her son, same as uh, Edie, and was able to go in uh, to the financial aid office. Mm. And they said, well, you're not allowed to be here. You're not a signer. So I said, Cecilia, can I be the signer? On, <laughs> can I be the one that they talk to about financial issues? Um, said, yeah, for sure. Mm. So I went in and we were able to cut down Damn. his college expenses by over $17,000 a semester Come on. to get it to 3000 And I was like, and do you even know, why are you going to Rockhurst University? That's one of the most expensive yeah. schools. Yeah. And why are you walking across the street from Rockhurst to take classes at UMKC? Oh, because Rockhurst doesn't have the classes I... It's like, let's go to UMKC, What if we just bro? got you yeah. in UMKC <laughs> and figured out yeah. UMKC would be almost free for him with government subsidy? Ecosystem, man. And so $20,000 a semester, multiply that by eight kids who want to go to college, and that drowns a family. And mm. all really, it's just a lack of awareness. Mm. And so not a necessarily a, That's right. a business. It, it's, it's more the way this practically plays out, just so you know, and how it has practically played out, our mission statement as a company has, has been between people. Mm. This is us in our leadership team, us as our sewing managers, us as a having relationship and loving the person who's in front of us and asking the question why, 
and stepping into the space of exploitation and saying, we're going to fight for you. We are going to be your big brother. Businesses have a, have a loud voice. We can get anything done we want to get done right. on behalf of our employees. They have trouble with housing. We can step into that space. You need a car. We can buy the car, loan it to you, and, and help you pay, you know, just work toward having you pay it back so that you don't negatively impact your credit. There's just so many yes. opportunities for getting your hands dirty in a dirty system that grinds people up and and we get to step in we have the opportunity to step in and be protectors and defenders of the future of their families so now her son he's in college he's not paying very much but he's going to go on and and he's going to be a you know computer engineer he's going to be a coder and that is going to impact his family. And then you've got eight families now underneath the Celia who will be able to have great educations, great jobs. It's, it just starts becoming a exponential value impact. Like you were talking about the value flywheel where th if little things like that go a long way. So uh, I guess that those are the two stories with the that come to mind. There are other Huge. stories internationally that I love to tell, but um, for sake of time, I'll, I'll spare you of it. <laughs> you don't need, you didn't spare, you, uh, you gave generously, man. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful illustration um, and a very practical one. It's like this, this uh, very profound distinction. It's not all either or, of course, we're all black and white, but this profound distinction between advocacy and empowerment and um, abundance and grace and compassion and opportunity like you gave Cecilia an opportunity that she stepped into and owned and done a great job at. But if she, if she didn't have someone who could say, let me look at the plumbing bill. What? That would have, that one thing could have hung over her head for decades that she might not have ever recovered from no matter how hard she worked. And to think about that distinction and the family trees that are being transformed is just powerful stuff, dude. Just powerful stuff. Um, I'm really grateful, man. I'm grateful that you'd come and, you share the story, and, and I warned you on these, but we, we wrap up each show, unfortunately, because I'm like, I could keep watching this clock tick up and, uh, and, and pick your brain of more leadership and life lessons. Um, but we won't. We'll do it again. Um, so let's wrap up with our final five. First one, what's your favorite T-shirt? Favorite T-shirt? It's not actually a T-shirt. It's a jersey. I okay. think that yeah, makes sense, fitting. right? It's Come fitting. on now. It's well-fitting. Uh, it's actually just a funny story. So I was four or five years old, and I got this uh, jersey for Christmas. It was a Brett Favre jersey signed. My grandpa is involved with the Green Bay Packers, and so Come on. I was able to get a signed Brett Favre jersey, and I opened it. It's like, this is amazing. But he must have been really little when he wore this one. <laughs> so I still have that jersey hung on my wall, and and just it's a joke in our family man he must have been really little when he wore that one <laughs> that uh that's great that brett farm jersey so that's and, my answer and now you're in the uniform business that's right that? yeah you go how about that um what would you do right now if you weren't afraid if i wasn't afraid i fall into the trap of a scarcity mindset mm, me too at times and sure. i think if i wasn't afraid speaking in terms of business I would give a lot more money. Mm. I I would be I would be 
trusting in the Lord's provision and his abundance and the sustaining of our business. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't be holding back um, from what we're able to do in terms of investment in the world um, and investment in ecosystem and some of the things that we mentioned. So I've been in this personal, you know, yeah, uh, this personal processing, yeah, personal yeah. war, looking at numbers, looking at spreadsheets and saying, man, what could we do? What is the potential? I read the Hobby Lobby book just recently and they give 50% of their profits and it's crazy. Just man, there's so much opportunity there and I don't want to be afraid in that space. Yeah. I, I didn't earn it. I didn't earn it in the first yeah. place. Yeah. It's not mine. <laughs> I own nothing. Yeah. Uh, it's all his. And so I, I want to give it away generously. Yeah, dude, that's good. It's a wonderful challenge. One, one I'm struggling through too. Um, favorite place on earth is? So I have had the opportunity to travel a good bit huge gift. Um, our business brought me out of the country for ex- law, uh, large portions of the year, especially early on. Um, Come on. The answer to that question, though, uh, is actually here in Kansas City. Um, my little church that I go to, World Harvest Ministry, a little urban church. Um, it's my family. It's my favorite place to be. When I'm there, I feel at home, and I've been there now for four and a half years. Uh, so that is my answer. Favorite place on earth is uh, World Harvest Ministries. Love it. 3,400 Woodland. Come on down. We'd love to see you. We got a hug for you. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Um, what is, you've, you've expressed this very directly and specifically and beautifully, but what, is, what does human first mean to you? Oh, man, I almost have to just copy and paste. And yeah. What has been said, human first Human first means having your priorities in check. Mm-hmm. We get so screwed up in the mind. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> you too? I it's feel so crazy. You're, it is, dude. How we get our priorities out of whack. And so I'm just going to copy and paste my answer from above. They're but it so means, good. hey, recognize what matters in the world. Recognize the person in front of you. Recognize that they're not just at a sewing machine. And that's not the entirety of their existence, that they have a family, that they have desires, that they have dreams. Be a horizon painter for them. Mm, I love that. If they don't see the horizon in front of them, if they're looking down at the ground in front of them, be a horizon painter for them. My favorite quote Mm. is, if you want to build, it's from the Little Prince, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people and assign tasks but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Mm. Don't be an assigner of tasks. You're not going to get anything done. If you want to build something of impact in the world, put humans first, put their horizons first. If they get a spark of a horizon, come on, watch the flames fly from your fingers <laughs> as you create beautiful <laughs> things in the world um, alongside an incredible team. Dude, that's good. That's so good. That's uh, That might be your TED Talk, bro. Be a horizon painter. <laughs> I love that. It's so powerful. Um, when it's all done, bro, what what do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered for my love. Mm. I want to re- be remembered for my sacrificial love, mm. radical, reckless mm. love. And that goes back, harkens back to the human first question. What does it mean to be human first? It means to to realize that love reigns over all. Um, and so... Uh, yeah, if, if I'm gone, I'd love for people to, to think back and remember a hug. I would love for them to think back and remember an encouraging word, a smile, um, as I heard about 
you know, the way that they are moving forth. Um, I don't want to be known for, this is not your question. But I don't <laughs> want to be known for envy. I don't want to be known for That's greed right. or for territorialism. I want to be someone who's known for the way that I, I poured out myself every single day with reckless abandon mm. in love for them, for their families, for the next generation. Mm. It's a high call. It's a beautiful gift. And just to encourage you, man, you're doing it. You're doing that. You're loving people well. You're leading people well. It's a, it's a gift to, to share these like awkward headphone microphone conversations. I've never you. felt so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so for me, my, my ambitions on the table here, these conversations alone are a gift to me, man. They're a gift to my soul and I'm grateful for them. Um, what's cool though is beyond our little moment in time of these hour and seven minutes. It's like, goodness, this is, this will be a gift to lots of people. Um, your, your wisdom, your, your generosity of spirit and your, uh, specific way in which you see the world is, um, is worth recording and it's worth sharing. And I'm so I'm grateful you'd come be with us, dude. Well, thank you so much. Such a gift to get to spend this afternoon. I'm actually coming out of a pretty chaotic mm. moment at work. And mm. as I stepped in here, I, man, hope my mind can tra- <laughs> transition. And, and so, uh, I've lost track of time in this room and, uh, have felt so blessed to get to speak a few things. Like I said, I'm a young, young guy mm. still figuring it out. So mm. none of this is capital T truth, <laughs> but hopefully some of it um, can act as seeds that'll grow into things that, that um, bring positive impact in the world and, and uh, inspire you in your work. Yeah, man. Amen. Well said. Thank you, sir. Thank you.